Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Scott. You're listening to Coffee and Books, where we, of course, talk about different types of coffee and books. I know I haven't talked about coffee lately, but I will say this. I've recently been going to TJ Maxx, so I recommend if you haven't already been to TJ Maxx Home Goods, they have an excellent coffee supply. So please check them out. I just tried their latest coffee supply. Um, they have ground, they have pods, they have whole beans, uh, anything you could ever want, uh, different styles, tastes. I bought a Hawaiian hazelnut recently, so that's all very exciting and very good. So definitely check that, check them out and uh, go to shop at your local TJ Maxx today. All right, so now that we've kind of gotten that through, let's talk a little bit more about our today's topic. Today's topic is uh, uh, the final segment of our series, Germany, a Nation and Its Time. So this is going to be a very crucial last chapter, or chapters four and five, the last segments of the book. What you should know about this is that I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert in German history, um, but there is quite a bit of history we're going to cover on a very little time scale. So I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to summarize it in a way that makes the most sense to everyone. And I will apply that, of course, going forward. Uh, keep in mind that there's a couple things I want people to remember going into this episode. One, not everyone in Nazi Germany was against the Jewish people. There were people who were trying to do the right thing, who were trying to save Jews. Um, that also goes for the occupied territories as well, uh, you know, France, uh, Poland, etc. Uh, there were people there who did try to do the right thing. And that's very noteworthy in the face of such absolute horror that people were willing to go that far and risk their own lives. So, that is a different topic. Uh, this is in particular focusing on the history of what actually happened. Um, we're still accumulating the evidence of what happened to this very day. Uh, so we don't have 100% of the story, mainly because a lot of what happened was a complete and total war meltdown. And what we're left with is the destruction of multiple empires during the age of colonialism and nationalism. So what we're left with that is democracies that are trying to rebuild and, of course, the legacy of the Cold War, which definitely had an impact on whether or not we had access to that information about what was happening. This is why even to this day, places in Germany and, of course, across Europe and Eastern Europe especially, it's notoriously difficult to find monuments to Holocaust victims, specifically listed by name. Usually it's listed as to the people of this town who were murdered. Um, it's not listed specifically as there were people here who we just indiscriminately murdered for no reason other than the fact that they were Jewish, or the Holocaust is a big part of that. But we're going to go, before we kind of get into all that, we have to understand the legacy and the mindset of what is going on in Germany during World War One and World War Two. So where we last left off, we covered the history in the 1800s of Prussia, Austria, and of course, the eventual unification of the German Empire, which was created after the fact of Napoleon and Napoleon's legacy, uh, which is partly the reason why Germany unified in order to strengthen its defenses and border. And it was around the later 1800s that Germany as a people, instead of cities and uh, city-states, they formed a legacy of a coalition together. It's kind of like the idea we went from going from Sparta and Athens to all of a sudden it's Greece, okay? That's the idea, that's the concept here, is that Germany all of a sudden became a unified empire. 
And during this time, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Germany was closed off from much of the rest of the world, pretty much because of one reason. Germany, unlike other empires, did not have any colonial outpostings until they started to venture forth and started capturing them at a very significant and fast rate. Why were colonial outposts important? Why did Germany want to expand its empire? Well, like other uh, countries such as Britain, France, and Belgium, and you name it, any other European country probably had a colonial outpost at one point or another or colonial territory. A great example of this would be, you know, the United States, where Great Britain controlled that territory, as well as France, Spain, and other numerous countries. Um, So, to put things in perspective, Germany wanted to catch up with the rest of the world. So, point number one, Germany wanted to be like the rest of Europe, and to be the top dog, the top contender, the top European power. So, what set Germany apart from other nations is that Germany was very nationalistic. This is partly because people who were in power had served previously in the military, meaning that patriotism was considered very important. Um, now, World War I, of course, happened, and there is a multitude of reasons why World War I happened. So I can't get into the nitty-gritty of everything, but we're going to basically simplify it in these terms. Germany was involved in World War I because of the fact that Germany wanted to go to war and win with its allies. Okay, Germany wanted, uh, you know, glory, fame, whatever was promised to veterans and uh, other fighters at the time. Um, It's a terrible legacy, but it's the truth, is that that Germany was, like many of its other countries, fighting for its sort of identity at this time. And Germany wanted to create an identity that was making it so that it would have a legacy, a history, something to be proud of. It was a very German thing. And uh, unfortunately, that war, World War I, was very costly. And again, we're not going to get into all the reasons why Germany went to war, but the most important is that Germany, to, for our purposes, wanted to expand its empire, become more global, have more fame and glory, uh, riches, wealth, access to other aspects of things that other European powers had that it did not. And when World War I ended and Germany was the loser of that war, Germany paid for it dearly. Which leads me to my next segment. The Germany, German government after World War I was replaced by a democracy, a very fragile democracy. Unfortunately, democracies are not always the best at stopping what was about to happen, which is a dictatorship, for those of you who are future shadowing. Uh, but basically, in the German Republic, or the early German democracy, uh, the W-E-I-M-A-R, the Weimar Republic, Germany was in itself a super unfortunate country to be dealing with a lot of problems. Uh, so problem number one, Germany had to deal with uh, hyperinflation. It had to deal with paying reparations to allies. It had to deal with um, the fact that there was not enough food to feed the people of Germany. It had to deal with the fact that Germany had wounded pride and shame after this war. It had to deal with the fact that Germany was dealing with insurgents in its own country, uh, meaning people who really did believe that Germany stabbed its own self in the back and that people were betrayed. Uh, there was political uprisings and revolts. Uh, there was anti-Semitic riots. There was all types of things that happened between the World War One and then what would eventually be the Third Reich in the 30s and eventually World War Two, So, 
Who are the Nazis? Obviously, it's a main group of people who came to power in Germany during this time period. Now, you might say, well, how did they come to power? And this has been psychoanalyzed so many times, but it's very hard to say what one thing caused it. But I would say, in my experience of reading this book, I have a better understanding of how people reacted to it. And the fact that Germany was so nationalistic for so long, having to deal with its own defense and its own wars and bloody conquests, Germany really believed the words that this person, Adolf Hitler, promised. And unfortunately, those words were very incorrect, and those caused a lot of heartache and problem for the German people for many, many, many years to come. But the power aspect, how he got his power, stemmed from the fact that this failed painter got into politics. And when he got into politics, he started out with not enough votes to really matter or even count. Um, his party tried to throw uh, a revolution. did not happen. And, of course, his uh, veterans and people who believed in him were on the fringes of society. People who voted for him were typically people who were poor, um, uneducated, people who were uh, veterans uh, with a political back history uh, you know, of being in a similar area as Hitler, so they identified with him, or maybe just people in general who didn't like foreigners or people who they didn't trust. It was these people that Hitler, um, you know, played his conspiracy theories on, his racial hierarchy, and what would eventually be based on what the United States did in the South. Um, and, of course, across, you know, the time and the entire world, there have been different hierarchies that other countries have had. But in particular, Nazi Germany based its hierarchy after the U.S.'s uh, treatment of African Americans, but took it to a, a another, another level and made it extremely worse in a lot of different ways. Um, now, you can't compare the two because slavery versus the Holocaust is different and Jim Crow laws were different. But we will say that Hitler took inspiration from the Americans in order to build his future empire. And that's where it leads to how he came to power. He played off the fears of the people, of the fact that they did not trust foreigners. In particular, Jewish people were considered foreigners, people who were living in their land. And of course, Germans were not up for this. And at first it started as a trickle, but eventually Hitler had enough power and votes to come into parliament and be considered a contender. And eventually he became, with the help of others, um, the all-powerful Fuhrer who took over and became head of the Third Reich. But what particular made Hitler so damaging wasn't his control over the people who followed him already. It was the fact he held captivated audiences of people in mass who had nothing to do with them. Remember, the German democracy, the young German democracy, is made up of people who are different political ideologies. You had people who were communists, you had people who were liberal, you had people who were conservative. Um, you had people who fell across all ends of the political spectrum. And yet they all followed this man, this crazy person, who took uh, the idea of living space to a very different level. So basically the ideal, or ideal version of what Hitler wanted was to create living space for the German people to grow and develop as a superior race of people. Unfortunately, that entitled his ideas into thinking that that would mean he would have to murder indiscriminately innocent populations of people and label them as either workforce or marked for death. 
And you can easily see the rise of this amongst the way he treats other people over time. You see, in the early 1930s, there was not the same grasp of power that Hitler held control as he did later on. And the interesting thing to see, and what is most important for our intensive purposes of studying this book, is that the German people followed him more and more and more as time went on. Some blindly followed him at first, but then some maybe didn't think they had a choice, and some also thought that um, they were only doing it until they could buy enough time to escape. There was many reasons why people followed the laws that this crazy person was coming up with. But the idea is that the different groups of people Hitler had in his control, the stormtroopers, uh, the political Nazis themselves, uh, the brown shirts, the, you name it, those groups of people were following you know, their orders. And those orders directly came from an influence all the way at the top, which was his beliefs and understanding. Um, of course, what we want to believe is that the German people resisted. Um, now, of course, again, a lot of this has been talked about, but Germany itself had struggled with its own identity, and many people unfortunately fell victim to the idea that Germ that this person was going to do good for Germany, which was not unfortunately the case. Um, so, again, Hitler leads to the outbreak of World War II. We go eventually to the mistakes that he made, which were not sustainable for his society, but basically, at the end of the day, we're very happy that he lost and that Soviet Russia prevailed, and as well as the United States, Great Britain, and even France, fighting against the Nazis. The Allies did what they could, and eventually won and ended World War II. Now, excluding you know, Japan, which is a whole separate theater of war, and Italy, we're going to talk now about the occupation and what happened after World War II. Okay, so, as I said, again, Hitler... Uh, in order to create his crazy fantasies, carried out the idea of the Holocaust, or the final solution. The idea of murdering indiscriminately people he did not like and care for. This did not just include Jewish people, but it included people of all different types of backgrounds who he didn't think fit the ideal society. And as a result of this, many people were innocently murdered. The idea behind this, though, the idea that we're going to talk about is that the German people, as well as other groups of people in Eastern Europe, such as Polish such as uh, people in what is now modern-day Eastern Europe, followed Hitler even though they were not from there. They were invaded. Uh, people even in other countries followed the rules of their society, and why they did that is a very good question. But the best understanding that we have is that there were people who, of course, in every fringe of society, some of those people did agree with his tactics, and some people resisted. Um, the idea, though, is that Hitler was a scary figure in military history as well as civilian history. But the idea is that after World War II, many of these people had to deal with the shame and guilt of what they've done. And that's where the final chapter of this book comes in, in chapter 5, with how did Germany deal with the shame and guilt after the end of the war? How did it recognize the mistakes it did? Did it do the right thing after the end of the war? So after the end of the war... Berlin and Germany was divided. Berlin, in particular, was a city divided in half with the Berlin Wall uh, between the Allies, um, as well as uh, 
East and West Germany becoming a very real thing for nearly 50 years. So, uh, or about 45 years, I would say. So what happened? Well, basically, the German people had different sorts of education during that time period. And the younger Germans, in particular, wanted to move forward in history and remember that they're building a better future. And this worked very well. The West German people, uh, in particular, had a heightened economic recovery after the war. Uh, many immigrants moved into Germany, in particular people from Turkey, uh, who built up and restored uh, Germany as a country. Uh, but in particular, what's important to notice is that, well, I keep saying that, I'm sorry. The, the idea here, or what I'm getting at, is that Germany, and in particular, some German citizens, not all of them, but some, had to deal with the consequences of their actions. Some of the people in the early German government, in particular, were people with Nazi pasts and history. And the idea of the legacy of Germany and how to pass it down so that way people could understand what Germany is became a very complicated question. Do you educate people about the side of history that you do not agree with? Or... Do you educate people about what happened, even if you're ashamed or even if you know what you did was wrong? And that's the problem is that many Germans struggled with the idea, the concept of how can we deal with this and make it safe? Um, we have to acknowledge that we did something wrong. That's the first step. And eventually that would happen. But for many, many, many decades, Germany had a very difficult time with coming into the foray of having a conversation about what its past did and what it meant. Um, of course, there are many famous speeches that had happened, but over the course of the years, as Germany eventually would become unified after the end of the Cold War, Germany in itself started to recognize the wrongdoings that it had committed to not only the Jewish people, but to other groups of people as well. And it took a very long time for it to get that far. But Many psychologists believe that the German people themselves had had to deal with the shame and guilt of what they had done or what their ancestors have done. And that is the reason why it is so difficult in Eastern Europe in particular, as well as in Germany itself, to find many monuments dedicated to uh, the people whose lives were lost during that time period. It is because it is such a hard subject for people to talk about. It is a difficult subject. I recognize that. Um... And that's why this book was so interesting to me, is at the very end, it wanted to end on a positive note. And that positive note was that Germany is an accepting place, and that Germany does accept immigrants who are seeking asylum. Germany does do a lot of good for the world, and is, in fact, one of the main players of the EU, the European Union. Uh, and Germany itself is a beautiful country with a wonderful past, um, even if it had an ugly black mark for some of that time, Germany itself is a country worth learning about. And there is a proper way to talk about World War II. And once we find that way and educate ourselves, hopefully we can translate that to our children so that it will never happen again. But until next time, this is Scott. You're listening to Coffee and Books. And uh, thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. And I uh, hope all of you have a great rest of your day. Uh, remember, again, uh, we're going to go into Mango series soon, hopefully finishing Roroni Kenshin. Uh, anyway, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Feel free to email me at scottbernstein16 at yahoo.com.